Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Energy released its vision of a future where solar power provides 40% of the nation's electricity. This week, Jason Hall returns to the show to take a look at the report and its implications for solar investors. Jacob, excuse me, Jason, welcome back on the podcast. Man, I can't talk today. Um, Nathaniel, it's nice to be. I mean, Nick, it's nice. It's nice to be on. This is a, this is kind of a fun topic. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of peeling back some layers here. Yeah, I'm excited to have have you back on. My my misspeaking your name, notwithstanding, always great uh, to be on with Jason. Uh, Jason is one of one of the first, I think, the, the first guest I ever had an industry focused podcast. Whenever I started hosting, we both share a love of college football. This is our prime season right now. But you know what? We're not gonna we're not gonna go down the Nick Saban uh, rabbit hole. We're not gonna talk about rat poison. We're gonna talk about solar energy today, Jason. Uh, what did you see in in this DOE solar future? study report so like there's there's a couple things right so the obvious the obvious part is you you have to kind of look at the politics of it right so you know we've gone we went four years and we heard very little out of out of the administration about renewables right during the trump administration five or six years ago we were still hearing a lot during the obama administration and i think the key thing there for me is like the take is this isn't a partisan take. It's just a reminder. Don't invest based on either your politics or what is specifically coming out of the administration, right? But with that said, I mean, Nick, this is, I mean, even the the, the like the 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 more conservative cases here make it pretty clear that the that the renewables train, solar in particular, is I mean, it's 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 left the station. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, you know, uh, the fact that this document's coming out now is a reflection of of uh, government policy, and government is very very involved in uh, in the energy industry. When you think about the most regulated industry, probably on the face of the planet, is the uh, the utility industry. Um, uh, but but so part of this is a reflection of of government policy, and you see some of that. Uh, in the report, so some of the assumptions you look at to get to this forty percent energy, uh, solar being forty percent of the energy by twenty thirty five, you make some aggressive assumptions. One of those is that you're going to have some policy intervention that the government's going to put their thumb on the scale to a certain extent to help fund research and development and those sorts of things. So you have some assumptions in there that I'm a little skeptical of, such as, well, hey, if the government spends some money here, we're gonna we're gonna accelerate innovation. Maybe that that has played out in in some industries and in others. We have you know the big public examples of, of Solyndra. Um, and, and things such as that. There's also some assumptions around. Okay, we can snap our fingers and and get all this, uh, you know, get access to the land we need to uh, to solve these problems, and that that markets will evolve without any of the kind of uh, human factors that take place anytime you're totally uh, uh, taking a system and changing it over to a new system. But to your point, though, Jason, even the reference scenario. So this is the scenario that assumes uh, there, there's no policy intervention and quote uh, market forces and technology. Uh, will drive significant deployment of solar and other clean energy technologies as well as substantial decarbonization. To put the numbers on that, uh, under even under the base case, you're looking at uh, installed solar capacity increasing by a factor of seven by the year 2050 and grid emissions declining 45% by 2035 and 61% by 2050, both relative to 2005 levels. So what that means is even you know snap your fingers and say none of the pol- political stuff is involved. Market forces are going to 7x 
this industry, at least, you know, based on based on what the Department of Energy uh, is projecting over the next 30 years. And that's uh, that's a heck of a growth trend if you can find some companies to invest in that. Another uh, thoughts, Jason. Yeah, no. And I think I think all you have to do is look back 5, 10, 15 years and you can see that path being really a reasonable expectation. It's not one that necessarily requires, unlike the extre- the, the the far more far more um, optimistic case here, doesn't require the development of technologies that just they don't exist today, right? I mean, as a starting point, there doesn't require the same sort of decline on on the cost curve um, to make it work doesn't require a lot of, of, of like I said, government, government funding directly to, to, to drive it. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable expectation like that, that lowercase. The key though, Nick, and this is something we've talked about and we'll get into is as an investor, finding the places within this where there's opportunity to profit. Absolutely. And that, that's another thing I, I, you know, would, would pull out of this, this report. So I think government reports, um, for me, are one of the most interesting places to find ideas. Whether it's the you know you can you can read the Railroad Administration or Department of Energy or any of these other uh, sorts of things. They can give you clues on on where an industry is going and maybe where there's some places to invest. So as I said earlier, there's some assumptions you have to make about where technology goes in order to accomplish uh, the government's goals. And there's a few things that pop out. Well, uh, number one, you got to make more solar, right? Solar energy, uh, you need continued innovation and, and production um, of solar panels. That's kind of an obvious uh, obvious uh, a take when, when you're looking at, at growth in solar. Another another uh, takeaway that you hear all over this report is you need advances of, of technology in inverters. So we've talked about inverters previously here on the show. This is technology. So you, whenever you uh, uh, make uh, energy on a solar panel, it comes out as direct current. The grid uses alternating currents, what the inverter does is it takes that uh, direct current that the solar panel produces and it puts it into uh, the, the type of uh, electricity that the grid uses uh, to transmit. They talk about it in the report. We need continued advancements um, in inverters in order to uh, allow uh, solar to thrive. As we've talked about on the show in the past, there's there's intermittency uh, when it comes to solar production. And yet you, you can't always match production with the grid. What these advanced inverters would do is, is allow solar to play a little bit more nicely uh, with the grid, adjust production based on voltage Things like that, and then lastly, storage. We've, we've heard we've heard this a bunch. Also, uh, with intermittency, if you're going to a universe where you're going to have the grid being 40 percent solar, well, listen, the sun's only up half the day, and you know, in, in the winter, maybe even less than that. So you have to find a way to take this energy that the sun is producing and be able to use it when the sun isn't out and, and things aren't shining. So these are trends, so, so, some areas where that there has to be investment in order to, for this solar future to be realized. And maybe these are some buckets we should look in as potential investors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, it's and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but you, you mentioned it with, with, government, with the government reports. I think it's easy to miss a few things, right? So there are a few organizations that have access to as much data about as many things as the US federal government does. And guys, you you already pay for it, it's it's free, it's there, it's public. You know, it's it's in the public domain. If you're not using it, you know, it's it's the Mark Twain, uh, the man who does not read has no advantage over the man who cannot read. It's right there, and it's certainly um, powerful to 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 look at these really large systems and and start thinking about that 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 data. Like you were saying, Nick, I, I agree. I just wanted to emphasize that. 
Yeah, so, so we've talked about kind of the report, so some big trends to pull out of it. Number one, solar getting a lot bigger. Number two, we need new technologies to make that happen. So as, as you, you Multiple there, technologies, then, right? Well, yeah, it's, multiple it's, technologies, correct. Right, so it's, it's, it's improving the efficiency of the panels, inverter technology that can move power in multiple ways that the, the, they can't do it right now, better battery storage technology, better chemistry, um, cheaper batteries right i mean there's it's just it's it's broad the the depth and breadth and the scale is 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 immense yeah so uh let's talk about maybe a couple companies that, that could give us some shots on goal um of these trends we kind of grouped them into two buckets you've got the the rule breakery growthy companies and then the companies that maybe just get you some exposure uh to this industry in, in a way that it's uh there's less technology risk much much more just kind of playing into the trend so let's start out with the you know rule breakery growthery growthery oh, well that's a word we're gonna make that word up growthery I like it uh, companies uh, let's start with uh, with solar panel manufacturers Jason what's a company that comes to mind for you uh, for investors so you think about this report and the data uh, this is heavily focused on uh, utility scale um, lifting you know doing most of the heavy lifting um, and and that's I mean that's already the case right if you think about global global solar deployments. You know, like two thirds of it or so is is utility scale. So these are the large solar farms you see, right? You're driving through Arizona or or <clears throat> even in the southeast, you're starting to see them um, here in Southern California. They're all over the place, but they're you know tens of acres of of giant solar panels. And a company that has consistently remained in a very good position in this area um, is is First Solar, right? So First Solar. Uh, this is a U.S.-based company. They manufacture a lot of a lot of solar panels here in the U.S. They also manufacture a lot in Southeast Asia. I think Malaysia. I think Nick is that what we? Um, for some reason, I can never remember. But so so it has a large international presence. But it really has a has a good presence here in 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 the U.S. and North America. The thin film technology that I think they're on their sixth generation, fifth or sixth generation. It has a couple of advantages. Now there are other other panels out there that might be a little more efficient in terms of like the the percentage of of sun that that it's able to convert to electricity, but thin film has a couple of other advantages. Um, one is in extreme temperatures um, tends to consistently generate uh, more more electricity, right? So the efficiency tends to hold better at the extreme ranges of 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 the energy condition. And that's that's really important, right? In terms of flexibility for deployment and the fact that a lot of solar deployment happens in places that get super duper hot. Um and that and and there's growingly in places where where it might get colder. So that thin film technology is is an advantage. This is also a company that has consistently had what is the best balance sheet across the solar panel manufacturing industry has always kept a substantial amount of cash, uh, far more cash than debt, um, only has you know, a few hundred million dollars in debt and about $1.7 million in cash and investments. If you look back, that number's come down from over 3 billion a couple of years ago because the company has the cash that it can spend on improving its, 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 its technology, right? Lots of R&D spend. And then they have to capital deploy that capital to retool factories and to expand output. Having that strong balance sheet is a competitive advantage because this is, Nick, this is a really cyclical industry, particularly when your customers are utility scale customers. They, the deployments from one year to the next can, can shift pretty dramatically. Even though this is a secular growth industry, 
from year over year, you can see big, big ups and downs based on regulatory changes, uh, based on capital spending, based on the economic environment can have some impacts on it. So all of those things together, that that cash rich balance sheet means that this company doesn't have to massively change their strategy in terms of development, in terms of deployment of technology based on a change in the cycle. Right. You mentioned cycles being driven by government action. Maybe that's what we're what we're seeing here when you have this big policy document uh, uh, coming out, but always something you have to, to keep in mind with this business. And at any cyclical business, the, the ability to survive the bottom part of the cycle uh, is much more important than, than how big of a home run you can hit in the top part of the cycle, because it, it's inevitable. It will turn uh, uh, one time or the other. And First Solar has, has proven over time its ability uh, to survive it. And solar, the solar panel uh, industry, there's not a lot of companies that have that uh, that have that to go for them. If you look at uh, if you look at the past, there. Yeah, there's only there's only two or three that 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 have consistently been in this sort of sort of shape. And the other the other part of that too, Nick, I think is important to talk about is a lot of times the stocks in this in this in this space they tend to trade at some of their highest prices kind of late in the cycle um which means that buying a lot of these companies overexposing yourself um to a lot kind of late in each of those cycles you you pay a premium price and that can really make it harder to generate meaningful long-term returns so i think i just want to highlight that it's important for a stock like first solar if you're interested, and I own some, and it's one that I've added to over time, is that this it's a great company to to build out your position over time, really over multiple years, because the stock can be very volatile. Um, it often moves based on rumors about changes in regulation, one way or the other, um, and a lot of times it gets detached from like the 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 like the key drivers of what's actually going on in the industry, and then. And then sales fall, and then the the forecasts start to change, and then the stock plummets really, really quickly. So you just have to be careful and think about building a position over time. Yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, premium valuation companies that move based on regulatory change, which I guess brings us to the the inverter uh, uh, companies here. We mentioned earlier advanced inverters being being kind of important to the thesis. You hear uh, uh, in this 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 government write up. We've talked in the past about Enphase um, and Solar Edge, the two kind of big public companies. Playing in this space, Enphase twenty times price to sales. I'm looking here, Solar Edge nine times price to sale. It's one of these where uh, it looks like the market knows that we need inverters uh, just as much as the DOE does. Yeah, there's actually a little bit of irony here um, in in terms of this specific report because Enphase and Solar Edge, neither one really play much in utility scale at this point, right? They're they're both they both have initiatives to expand that. But they're really heavily focused on um, uh, distributed solar. So you think about rooftop solar on houses, maybe like a Walmart distribution center, right? So that's that's solar that's being produced by a private en- entity for their own consumption, and then they're taking the excess and sending it back to the grid, right? They're not producing it and selling it to the utility. Um, so it's a different scale, right? So here's kind of the edge for these two companies, uh, Enphase and, and SolarEdge. They've been kind of the leaders in panel level electronics. Here in um, in, in North America, in the US, um, code actually requires the use of um, panel level electronics, meaning that on the solar panel itself, each individual solar panel, if you have 30 of those on your roof, each individual panel has to have its own power management and ability to cut off power to the grid directly at that. Historically, it's been string inverters, meaning there's one inverter that handles your house, right? So all the panels run through that single inverter. 
So the panel level electronics do a couple things. Number one, by controlling it at the individual uh, panel, it reduces things like fire risk, right? It improves safety, um, <clears throat> improves safety for grid workers, right? Uh, making sure that every panel is disconnected. Uh, also can improve efficiency, right? Managing the power better. Um, so this is something these two companies have done and they command between the two of them, I think somewhere around 90% plus of the North American distributed solar um, inverter market, uh, inverters and, and um, power optimizers, because nobody else is really focused on it, right? They, they established it early and they, and they got in a great position and everybody else just kind of backed away. They've also expanded um, their, their technologies overseas. They're really growing, both are growing pretty well in Europe as well as distributed solar becomes more prevalent. But in terms of this report, honestly, it's their exposure is not, is not significant. This is just more of being driven by the tailwinds. Uh, they both also have some interesting optionality um, with energy storage. They're both rolling out energy storage. Enphase actually has a pretty good uh, storage for, um, for residential storage already. Um, SolarEdge is working on bringing their products to market. And, and I think there's a, an interesting edge that they both have, right? So they both work with a lot of manufacturers, like the, uh, the solar panel manufacturers. They work with a lot of large installers. They work with regional installers. So they're right in the middle of like that distribution mix, right? And that is a bit of a competitive advantage in terms of energy storage because they're a known entity, right? They're a known quantity. They have existing relationships. And it seems like energy storage at the distributed level is becoming like a bolt-on. It just, it, it happens where we're seeing in a lot of places, the majority of, of solar deployments, residential solar deployments, the, the majority are starting, are, 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 it's getting to a point where the majority are, are including storage along with the solar panels. Anecdotally, we're, you know, we're uh, moving into a new house in Massachusetts and we'll, we will be deploying solar with storage. It's like, we're just, we're not even looking at it as separate things. It's just going to be together, right? So, and I, I think that's becoming more and more true. The other thing too with SolarEdge is it seems like it has even a little more optionality because of some focus they have with the acquisition they made a few years ago to develop uh, powertrain components for electric vehicles. This is an industry that we know is going through just bananas level growth. And more and more companies are looking for more and more suppliers, right? So being a supplier to that industry, um, and it's adjacent to what they already do, so it fits within their core competencies, is a good position to be in, to be in right now. But you mentioned that I want to hit it again. You mentioned the the va the valuations here again: twenty one times sales for Enphase, um, almost nine and a half times trailing sales for SolarEdge. So very very high multiple risk. Um, and, and it just, it, to earn, to earn those valuations, these companies have to continue to grow at very high rates. And also, and I think this might be the more challenging thing is to continue to command the kind of margins that they've been able to command, which frankly, I've never seen anybody else is supplying inverters or any of this other kind of in-between equipment been able to do generally suppliers that are kind of like middle suppliers. They're not the in, they're not the end product manufacturers don't get the kind of margins that these companies are getting. So can they continue to command those margins while also growing? Uh, it remains to be seen. So I love both businesses. I own both. Kind of like First Solar a little bit. I think this is kind of a good stock to like dip your toes in if you're interested and then build out a position over time. 
yeah, we'll see what happens as the industry grows. Uh, and you know, if we do get to, to 40% of the energy grid, it, it is hard to, to see an industry that matures at that rate that maintains these type of super normal margins. But hey, maybe the volume, uh, you know, may, they can make it up in volume in, in that way, right? You don't need as high margins if you're, if you're pushing through massive amounts of more throughput. Okay, so we, we've talked about a couple rule, rule breakery companies here uh, with First Solar and then the Enphase um, and, and Solar Edge pair. If you're looking uh, for more income, you want to build more of an, an all-weather portfolio, you're going to get less uh, shaken around maybe by some of these uh, governmental headlines or by the cycle. What are some uh, uh, companies that come to mind for you for investors? Yeah, these are tried and true. And if you've, if you've Nick, if, if these, anybody that's listening, if you've heard me on here with Nick before, talking about um, renewables, these are not going to be unfamiliar names. So these are the Yield Co's independent power producers, right? So these are the companies that have either developed or uh, acquired and now operates renewable energy facilities. So they're not just doing utility scale solar, they're also doing um, utility scale wind. Uh, generally, they'll own some transmission as well, right? That connects the uh, their 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 projects to the grid. Um, some of them also own like uh, hydroelectric, right? So that's like the OG of the of the renewable energies. Um, hydroelectric's been around for a long time. And the three I want to highlight really quickly that I like a lot. Um, so the first one is uh, Clearway Energy ticker CWEN, and then there's non-voting share CWEN dot A. Economic equivalent of this of what of what you own. Pay the same dividend. I tend to buy the one that at the time that I'm deploying money pays a higher yield, right? So because you own essentially the same, the same thing. Uh, so Clearway Energy again is an independent power producer. Um, has pretty large exposure to the West, uh, Western U.S. Um, went through some some challenges with its cash flows because of um, the bankruptcy of. Oh goodness, Nick, you're gonna have to help me out here. Um, PG&E, um, yeah, so short version, uh, bankruptcy judge froze some cash that was at a um, uh, at a subsidiary that came through from PG&E. Management said the whole time, hey, this is going to be fine. It's going to get released. Our contracts are good. And it proved to be right. The company was able to um, reestablish its dividend, has grown it substantially, and is working to steadily decrease its exposure to, to single uh, individual um, utility customers. So that's helping reduce that risk. But the big thing here is this is exactly the kind of company that is positioned to continue to deliver long-term growth in this area, right? Whether there's government intervention or not, this is where the puck is moving, right? The companies that are doing this. So Clearway is a play on growing their footprint, acquiring and developing more of these assets, growing their cash flows that are stable, over long-term, like 20-year agreements typically, and then grow a dividend that it pays to investors. Uh, I believe the yield's around 4% right now, maybe a little above that. Starting at a 4% yield and then growing that payout over time really lowers the bar for the kind of growth you need to see to deliver meaningful returns. Two others that I like that I'm going to highlight, I won't dig into too much. One is Brookfield Renewable, which is the largest of these independent power producers. Still, the majority of its business comes from um, hydroelectric, but it's deploying by far more capital into solar and into wind than anything else. Part of that Brookfield Asset Management group of, of entities, lots of capital that comes into this business. It's, it's international. They're really, really good at capital deployment, no matter where in the cycle things are. And the thing that I like the most is the, the they have really good optionality, depending on where the market is, 
geographically, which asset class to deploy where they think they can get the best returns. Next Era Energy Partners is kind of like a, a similar version of this because it's the uh, limited partnership of Next Era Energy, which is the largest solar um, utility in, in, in the US, the world, I think actually, um, has big assets down in Florida with its regulated business. But Next Era Energy, Energy Partners is a big part of the way it's growing its independent power business. Because again, the tailwinds are pushing so much utility scale um, power towards renewables. So they're able to leverage this, this subsidiary business to do that. Um, and it's their yield growth business. So I really like those three a lot in that space. Because not only can you capture a good yield and have that income stream grow because the above average growth of the dividend, but these 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 can be market beating investments, right? I mean, you, you don't have to buy these growthy names to, to outperform the market. You can do that with these yield codes. All right. These are the companies that would be uh, uh, helping carry out this this huge deployment uh, that, that, that we're calling for over these over these next several decades. And there's nothing wrong with, uh, with with taking the companies that know how to do this and know how to, uh, you know, squeeze blood from the stone when it comes to uh, renewable energy. Right. They, 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 they're driven by the tailwind, right? The, the large secular uh, growth uh, in this uh, in this industry. They benefit from the decline in the cost curve. Right, because they're they're buying and operating the equipment, so they really benefit from all of that, right? And and they're not exposed to the same secular, uh, the the excuse me cyclical aspects that the that the manufacturers are, right? They benefit, right, when the cycle turns, and and all of a sudden all these manufacturers have excess inventory and start fighting for market share and cutting costs. If you're the guy that's buying that that equipment you benefit right so and that's another thing about these yield codes that's really exciting to me all right jason it's about uh that's about time uh for us so we, we we've talked about this uh this department of energy report some big takeaways shared a few companies folks should have on their radar that's first solar fslr enphase enph solar edge sedg clearway energy cwen there's a and b shares there's uh so there's a cwen.a and then there's just cw E-N, Brookfield Renewable, which is BEP, or if you want the corporate shares, which are a little bit easier, uh, if you're in a, a tax-free account, there's BEPC. Um, and then I think you mentioned Nexter Energy Partners, which is NEP. Any last thoughts, Jason, here on uh, solar stocks and just this, this big, broad trend before we send it home? Well, just the conclusions, right? So we talked about it earlier. Use this government data. It's massively um, informative. It's free. Um, don't get caught up in, in the, in the partisan aspects of it. Right. So just take it with a grain of salt with, 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 uh, the administration that it's coming from with that said, trains left station, right? Solar's real. This is happening. Um, and there's something here for everybody. What, what, whatever, whatever kind of investor you are, you're super conservative, really focused on growth, willing to take on that risk of high volatility. Um, every investor can 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 profit from this and probably should have some exposure to it because it's real. Jason, always love having you on the podcast. Looking forward to next time. Me too. Thanks, Nick. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the virtual glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.